This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Can we say amen? You know, God has his eyes on us. It's not just me. He has his eyes on us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're single or you're married. It doesn't matter if you're a young adult or an adult. It doesn't matter if you're having economic problems or you're thriving economically. It doesn't matter your background, your race, your nationality, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. God has his eyes, El-Rohi, on you and I. And that should give us comfort. That should give us great consolidation, knowing that if the God of the universe, if the God who created all things, if the God who speaks and it is so, has his eyes on you and I, we can rest underneath that. We can abide in that and be assured in that. And that has been my my culmination of life, knowing that, Nadine, God's got his eyes on you. You know, I'm grateful for this house. When I came here, I, I, when Pastor Max hired me, I was about a year, a little over a year out of my prison sentence. And he gave me a chance here. And I started out in humble beginnings. I didn't know where the road would take me. I didn't know what was on the other side of just saying yes. But God knew because he has his eyes on us. When I stepped into that and I started being faithful there and then the journey took me, took me, kept taking me into different places. And every place that the invitations will come, step into this position. Okay, Nadine, how about this position? And the doors will open and I will just humbly step into those positions. Unqualified. Didn't have it, church. Didn't have the education the ministerial background, the stuff people look for. But I had a God who had his eyes on me and on us. This is the God. He doesn't look for all the stuff man looks for. He looks for hearts that's yielded towards him, vessels that want to serve him, vessels that want to obey him. And he says, come along with me, Nadine, and I will change the trajectory of your life. Can we give God praise? But let me tell you, church, you don't do it alone. It's not that, oh, I don't need anyone. I could do this by myself. God always assign people to your journey. And I'm so grateful that he does. I call them destiny helpers. The people who God assigns to your life to help you in the trajectory of your destiny. I would definitely say Pastor Max, the previous senior pastor, the founding pastor of this church, he was a destiny helper. He gave this young 20-something-year-old that didn't have the background, that didn't have the knowledge, that didn't have an education, he gave me a chance in that office over there because God had his eyes on me. And then when the baton was passed to pastors Tom and Candy, Again, they came in. Pastor Tom gave me a first person to give me an opportunity at this pulpit. I was in classes teaching Sundays. Let me tell you, don't despise humble beginnings. 
I started out teaching in surge kids, teaching the little ones about David and Goliath, about Samson, little five-year-old and six-year-olds. And then I started going into the, the elementary with the older little kids, with the elementary, and then the middle school, and then the high school, and then college, and then young adults, and then adults, to the point where this man said, what are you doing in this office? He didn't know that God was using him to position me for what he had for me. But these are destiny helpers. Destiny helpers that God places in our path, places along the way to help us in the destiny that God has for us. Sometimes you don't recognize a destiny helper. It's only years after that you look over your shoulders and you said, if it wasn't for so-and-so, if it wasn't for this one, if it wasn't for this person who opened that door, or that supervisor, or that boss, or that individual, I wouldn't be, I could honestly say, if it wasn't for pastors Tom and Candy, I would not be where I am today. And I give honor. I don't put man on pedestals. I don't idolize people, but I give honor where honor is due. And these two have been destiny helpers in my life. And I honor them for that. Let me tell you, church, because if we're not careful, we will break and cut and sever a destiny-helping relationship before it's time. And when you sever destiny-helping relationship in your life before it's time, it can wreak havoc on your destiny. Abraham and Lot severed a relationship before its time and it ended lot in Sodom and Gomorrah we have to be careful we can allow offense to pull us from a destiny helper strife to pull us from a destiny helper disagreements to pull us from a the little things that don't even matter but the enemy know he's sowing a, a, a specific discord to disrupt your destiny don't allow the little things in life to come and rob you of what God has for you. I thank God for these two, Pastors Tom and Candy. I thank them for their ministry. I thank them. I love uh, these two individuals. I'm not just saying that. If y'all know me, y'all know me by now. I'm not going to just say that. I love them. I love their, 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 their run for the things of God. I got to shout out Candy. I got to shout out Candy. Mm-mm. That's my girl. We prayed together. We've toiled together. We've wrestled together. We've dug out the prophetic together. Isn't this what God is saying? Girl, the world is crazy. Yeah, we got to get into the word. I mean, we've prayed. We've toiled. We've, we've hung out in these pews praying over this house, walking through the classrooms, praying over this house, walking through people's office, praying over this house. She is a kingdom woman of God. Why do I say that? Because not everyone who represents the kingdom is in the kingdom. Don't let them fool you. Not everyone who steps into a pulpit is in the kingdom. And so people wear facade, they got a great personality and we, we, we bring them to the pulpit. But they're not in Christ. 
So I'm glad that I get to rub shoulders and connect with real people that actually, when the lights are off, love Jesus. Amen? I told PT, Pastor Tom, that um, it's hard, you know, preaching a message, bringing a word after that kind of announcement because it's so um, emotional for me. It's been 20 years. Coming in here on Wednesday nights for Bible studies, going up in rooms to teach classes. My first class here that I sat as a student was called Tuesday Night CLD, Christian Life Discipleship. And I sat there at the feet of older women. I was in my 20s at the time and just ate off of what they were feeding from the plate of God's word. And then to years later to be where I am, this house means a lot to me. And like PT says, this is still my family. This is, if that's all right with you, this is still my family. This is still where I come. My family's here, my kids, my, well, my son is going off to college, but at least Natasha got one more year here. And uh, Benz and I uh, love this house. We're gonna go now into the word of God. I believe God has a word that he wants to deposit to us today. And if we would have hearts that are postured to receive the word of God, then the seed of God's word can impact the soils of our hearts but not just that, because the enemy can still steal that, but it can take root and bear fruit, fruit that would remain. That we would not just be Sunday to Sunday nominal believers, just generic believers, that we're actually living out. You can't get to destiny if you don't live out God's truths for your life. You can't. It's when we're yielded and surrendered and obedient to the words, to the truths of scripture and honor the truths of scripture and apply the truths of scripture that transformation can take place in our lives. And so today I pray that we would have a word that would enable us to do just that. Today I'm gonna to be talking about a familiar character in scripture. You would know him, he's a patriarch of the faith. You would know him. His name is Isaac. And while I will be talking about Isaac and you're familiar with Isaac, you're probably not familiar with this particular passage of scripture in Genesis. We probably kind of read over it because it may not seem like much until you start to, you know, extract from context, extract what words mean, extract what does that mean for me? Because sometimes we can read the, the people of scripture and think that was for them. But no, God put it in the word because there's an application for you and I. And so we're, we're going to look at Isaac's life and at a key point in his life to see what's the application. If you remember, Isaac is the son of Abraham. He's the promised seed of Abraham. Remember, Abraham and, and Sarah was up in age and Sarah was barren and God promised her a seed and out of her womb came Isaac. It was Isaac that Abraham took on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him unto the Lord when God was stopping him because God is not into child sacrifice. So he would stop him and offer a ram in the thicket instead. Isaac comes from a bloodline of faith. 
He comes from pedigree of depth of spirituality. But just because you come from a bloodline that's deep in the Lord or a pedigree of spirituality does not exempt you from difficulties in life. It doesn't exempt you from the challenges and the problems that you will have to face. I know your daddy faced some and he overcome, but here's the thing about God. He has no grandchildren. We're either sons and daughters of God or we're not, right? So Isaac is now grown and he's living in a time of a great famine. I want us to pick up, they're going to have it on the screen for us. I want to pick up in Genesis chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 and then I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. Verse 1, they tell me I read fast, so excuse me if I'm reading too fast, but let's start in verse 1. 26 verse 1. There was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply you, Isaac, your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give you the descendants of these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Jump down to verse 12 with me. Now Isaac sowed in that land. Remember, there's a famine. There is a drought. They're in a recession. But Isaac sowed a seed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold harvest. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and of great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dung, dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up the, fill, the filling of them. They stopped up the wells with earth, with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed, departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We are reminded that it is living and it is active. It cuts between bone and marrow. It reveals the intents of the heart. The word of God, once applied, it can transform us. It can do in us what a, a physician, an earthly physician could never do, transform our souls. May it do just that today. May it go forth as seed and the hearts of the receivers be as soil. And may it take root, bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, God's people believed it and said, amen and amen. If we're not careful, we won't, we'll skip past this story and not see some, some key components to this story. This story, the Bible, majority of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, the, the context, the, the setting, the environment is an agricultural environment. 
it's a, um, a agrarian society that's represented throughout the scriptures. And so that's important. Well digging then would have been very common for them to do. It would have been common for them to dig wells. That would have, that would have been their regular practice. We don't really tend to look into that today because today, while there are still well digging, there's still well diggings taking place, we have machinery, we have technology that can help us dig wells. So for us today, it will take hours to dig a well. Well, for the biblical times, it will take months for them to dig a well. They will dig down 100 and 150 feet until they see a shimmer of water. If not, they will hit a bedrock. Then they will move to another place, dig for several months, bedrock. Move to another place, and they depended on water because they dealt with earth, dirt, herdsmen, um, livestock that needed water. So in a famine, this is very important to biblical society back in those days. And so they would be digging and, and finding bedrock after bedrock, and that's kind of similar to our faith. We're going through life, and we're... We're digging in prayer. We're digging in prayer. We're digging in prayer. We're digging in fasting. We're digging in, in believing, but we're not seeing a breakthrough. All we're seeing is a bedrock. What do you do when you're digging and digging and digging and you don't see a shimmer of water? All you have to show for it is a pile of dirt and no sign of water. What are you doing when you're when you're digging at your circumstances, when you're praying about that situation, when you're believing God, you've been going to church, you've been reading your Bible, you're serving in ministry, but you're still hitting bedrocks. Bedrocks in your marriage. Bedrocks with your children. Bedrocks with your family, with your finances, with your health. Your health. Bedrocks after bedrocks in your circumstance. Maybe it was 21 days of a prayer and fasting, and you believed God to open your womb. Maybe it was in that time frame that you were believing God to, for this financial situation, for this, for this promotion on the job. You're believing God for everything, and at the end of the 21 days, nothing changed. Bedrock. So what do you do in those instances? Do you go back to unbelief? It doesn't work. Do you go back to prayerlessness? It doesn't work. Stop reading my Bible. Apathy, spiritual apathy. Do you go back to those things or do you continue to dig and dig until you see a breakthrough? Today's message is entitled Secrets to Breakthrough. How do I get to my breakthrough? I'm, I'm tired of getting so close, but yet no shimmer of water is showing up in my circumstances. What are the secrets that we need to know so that we can encounter a breakthrough in our lives? I think Isaac is a prime example to help us to unpack what are the secrets. He was a guy who dug and dug in spite of opposition, and yet he saw breakthrough. As I just read in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac is in the middle of a famine. So he's traveling to, e to Egypt. The reason why he's traveling to Egypt, because the Nile River is there. There's water there. Vegetation is there. Sustenance is there. And he can look from where he is and see, that's where I need to be. And furthermore, his father had done that same journey and it worked well for him. So Isaac is saying, this got to be a God thing. And on his way to Egypt, 
to better, to a place of non-famine, God interrupts Isaac's journey. Has God ever interrupted your journey? That plan that you had, that, that, that thing that you were believing for, that place that you were going to, that, that well-thought-out strategy that you had, and you thought, this is God. Only to realize God is stopping you and saying, this is not me. What do you do in those places, in those times when you're heading in a direction and God interrupts you? God tells Isaac, don't go down to Egypt, but God is promising in Egypt. Don't go down in Egypt. Stay in this land. What's a Gerar? Like, do you know where Gerar is now? I mean, I had to look it up. I mean, who doesn't know Egypt? And God says, stay in Gerar. Yeah, but God, it looks promising. All that glitters is not gold. Remember your cousin Lot? It looked promising to him too. But it was Sodom and Gomorrah. God invites us to follow him by faith and not by sight. Egypt looked promising, but it wasn't God's promise and it wasn't God's destiny for Isaac's life. When you're walking with God, you must depend on God's instructions and not your feelings and not what you see. Why? Because they're inconsistent and feelings do not have an intellect. They cannot think. They can only feel. And so we have to depend on something that sees far better than what we can see, that knows far greater than what we know. And this is what God is inviting Isaac into. God tells him, if you stay in this place, I will bless you. I will be with you. I will give you the lands, not only to you, but to your descendants. God couples a promise with some strings attached, conditions. If this, then that. Oftentimes, the promises of God that you're standing on, the promises of God that you're believing for, have conditions attached to them. And so he tells them to stay. We must never forget that the blessings of God that you're believing for, the promises of God that you're believing for, accompanies obedience to God. The first secret of breakthrough that we need to know that requires, that is required of us to walking in breakthrough is that you got to walk in obedience to God. It took faith for Isaac to stay in Gerar after seeing what he saw in Egypt. It took faith for him to surrender his plans, to surrender his desires. You know, we sing about how we are surrendered to God and how much we love God until it's time to be obedient to God. You will know what you believe about God when God asks you to do something you don't want to do. You will know how much you are surrendered to God until he asks you to give up that desire, to give up that relationship, to give up that goal, to give up your will. Oh, we talk a good game until it's time to obey him. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. And verse 6 says, Isaac lived in Gerar. It was obedient that saved Noah and his family. 
It was obedience that caused a, a, a commander named Naaman to be cleansed of his leprosy. It wasn't the water of Jordan that cleansed him of his leprosy. Obedience to God caused the water to have an impact on his um, 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 leprosy. It was obedience to God that brought down the walls of Jericho. Don't you think for a moment that it was just their shout. No, it was shouting to the one that can bring down the walls that brought them that victory. Obedience to God activates the provisions of God. Obedience to God releases the promises of God. And obedience to God puts you under the mighty need protection of God can somebody say obedience this is simple and yet so difficult no it's not then why aren't we walking in obedience to him now if Christians were to truly obey God it would change the society in which we live in we are not walking in obedience because the moment we step into obedience and we don't see God do the thing or we don't see it turns in our favor, we turn in the opposite direction and begin to run from God. To walk in obedience, you're going to have to deal with a bedrock. It's an enemy to obedience and it's called doubt. Somebody say doubt. Yes, because we all struggle with doubt. To walk in obedience to God, you must deal with the spirit of doubt. Doubt will talk you out of your blessings. Doubt will do, rob you of what you are believing God for. Doubt will cause you to have self-talks that's louder than the word of God. Doubts will cause you to listen to Satan's whispers and object the instructions that God gives us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Do not allow anyone to change your mind. Always do your work well for the Lord. You know whatever you do for him will not be wasted. This verse is dealing with doubt. Doubt in the Greek means to be torn between two directions. To be torn between your will and God's will. To be torn between your faith and fear. To be torn between your comfort and your calling. To be torn between reality, what you see, and God's promises, what he said. When doubt comes in to cloud your perspective, saints, church, CLC, listen to what these words are saying to you. Doubt will come and visit you. It will knock on the doors of your mind. You will hear what God said. You will read what his promises for you are. But for some reason, this spirit of doubt, these lies from the enemy will come and visit you when you least expect it. And when doubt visits you, you got to sing like Psalm 119.18 says, Open the eyes, my eyes, that I may see wondrous things from your laws. Your, your laws. Open in the Hebrew in this text means to uncover, to remove. So when we walk in obedience to God and your faith begins to, to get opposition, we got to remember that doubt cannot be what leads me, what, what, what garnishes my path. I got to remember faith in the, in, in, the, in the face of doubt. What gives me faith? Now faith comes by. Hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to give you a little quick little tidbit. When you are reading God's word, we have a tendency to read it in our minds. You know, stay quiet. Say it out loud. Read God's word out into your space. 
out into your environment. Let it get out into the air molecules, into your environment, into your surroundings. Because as you're reading it out loud, you are actually listening to the word of God. And the word of God is life. The word of God is power. The Bible says that the word of God is settled in heaven and cannot be broken. That is the word of God. And when you are facing opposition, we stand on the word of God over doubt. And doubt and faith begins to move the mountains of doubt. It begins to move the obstacles of doubt. Faith begins to push out what's trying to rob you of God's promises for you. We will not miss the blessings of God if we're walking in obedience to God. Isaac follows God's instructions and remains in Gerar. Remember we read verses 12 to 17 that tells us that Isaac sowed a seed. And I'm not going to go into this here because we're going to go into it tonight. We are not walking out some of the principles of God's word. He sowed a seed in the middle of a famine and the harvest from that seed interrupted his famine. The reason why we don't like to talk about seed time and harvest is because sometimes some people have misused it. They have abused it. But just because people have misused a principle from God's word doesn't mean we should stop using a principle from God's word. God's word is eternal. And when we apply it to our lives, we reap the benefits from it. God wants us to reap the benefits from his truths. The benefits from, we're not working the word, so the word is not working for us. We got to apply what the word says. He says he sowed a seed, and in the middle of a famine, he reaped a harvest. This leads us to our second breakthrough. In order for us to have breakthrough, we must work while we wait on God. So we must walk in obedience to God, and we must work while we wait on God. What did Isaac have to do? He had to sow a seed in the middle of a famine. And the result of that is that he reaped the harvest, verse 12 tells us. But then he had to dig wells in the middle of a famine. Have faith, knowing that there's water on the other side. He had to do something. And the result of that was a multitude of wells and a multitude of water. The Bible tells us in James 2.26, faith without works is dead. I'm just waiting for God to do it. Faith without works is dead. Well, I'm just believing God. I'm just praying about it. Faith without works is dead. I got to give God something to work with. I can't believe in for a job opportunity, but I'm not out looking for the job. I can't believe God for a promotion, but I'm not showing myself of, of, of being faithful on the job so that they can see and, and notice that I'm worthy of a promotion. There's something that I got to do. We can't sit back. Listen, God will provide the water, but you got to dig the wells. Here's the thing, saints, God won't dig the wells for us. He just provides the water. We must dig the well. You cannot expect a harvest but refuse to sow a seed. You cannot expect water but refuse to grab a shovel. There's something that you have to do. Dig wells into your marriage. Dig wells into your family. Dig wells with your job, with your health, with everything that concerns you. Isaac sowed a seed in difficult days, and it brought him better days. 
Oh man, tonight we're going to go into that. Yet be advised that the blessings of God will garner friction from your enemy. The enemy, it will stir up his nest against you. It says that the blessings of Isaac stirred envy and jealousy from the Philistines. So they began to stop up his wells. They began to agitate him. What was their strategy? Cut off his resources and drive him out. Take note, saints. The enemy will frustrate you and agitate you out of the promises of God. It will cause you to get frustrated that you move outside the will of God. It will cause you to get so overwhelmed that you start making decisions outside the will of God, moving outside of God's timing for your life. But the source of Isaac's blessings was not the well. Pity they didn't know that. Stopping up his wells was not going to stop him from having water. The source of his blessings was God. God said what? I will bless you. I will be with you wherever you go. That sentence speaks to the favor of God. Mm -mm -mm. Let me tell you about the favor of God, church. The favor of God will open up doors you didn't knock on. The favor of God will cause you to be um, favored on the job and you didn't ask for it. It will cause them to give you promotions that you didn't look for, to give you new positions that you didn't even apply for. The favor of God will go before you, whether they reject you, whether they talk about you, whether they move you, whether they take your title, whether they take your position, they could put you in the basement. You submit your paperwork. The favor of God will move your paperwork from the bottom of the pile to the top of the file. This is what favor of God does in our lives. And can I tell you, you can't buy this favor. Mm -mm. You can't manipulate for this favor. The favor of God is a divine advantage that comes from God. Can I get an amen? It caused people to wonder, how does she get that how did he get up there he, they're not qualified they don't have the right education did you see all my degrees how in the world did they get to that no baby it's the favor of God it runs you down it overtakes you it opens up doors for you it blesses you it causes you to be blessed in the city and in the field blessed when you lay down and when you get up Favor will have people talking about you in a good way and you're not even in the room. This is the favor of God. You know what garners the favor of God? Little side note. Obedience to God. I've never seen a rebellious person thriving in God's favor. I've never seen a bitter person thriving an unforgiving hateful person thriving in obedience to God if you are asking God for favor be ready to walk out in total obedience to him to be surrendered to him to surrender your will to him I'm not going to stop there but I want you to know that the favor of God is important to the child of God I don't think that there are things that I've received in life that wasn't that was void of the favor of God. 
I think that there are people in this room that God's favor. If you, you grab this mic, you can say, God favored me here. God favored me there. I didn't even deserve it. But it was the favor of God. Isaac was walking in God's favor. But again, it will stir up your enemies against you. So they tell Isaac to leave. We're going to be rounding down. They tell Isaac to leave. Isaac goes into a valley called Gerar. This is important. There's things that we read in the Bible and we kind of skip over it. Gerar means lodging place, rolling country. It is compared to the act of a cow when it chews its cud. The cow chews its cud and processes it in a, a process called rumination. I wasn't raised on the farm. I don't know about cows and all of that. So I had to look this stuff up. Rumination is when a, a cow chooses food. If you always see a cow, they're always chewing. He chooses food for a long time. They said the rumination process for a cow is eight hours. Chooses food, swallows the food, and then regurgitates it. I missed that chicken the last time. Let me get that piece, chew on it some more. They chew it some more. After a while, they swallow it again, rumination. Another meaning for rumination is meditation. This is where Isaac is, in a valley called Gerar, which means meditation. Meditation means a deep or considered thought about something. Notice that Isaac ends up in this place after he's going through some difficulties. Rejection, obstacles, opposition. And God leads him to go down into the valley of Gerar. Why? Because your second breakthrough, third breakthrough that you need to know in order to break through through your, your, your promise that you're trying to get to, you're going to have to learn to meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's faithfulness. Meditate on God's promises. In season of opposition, we have to remind ourselves what God said. We have to remind ourselves of God's promise. We have to remind ourselves that he's a promise keeper, that he's faithful. You know, God knew all the oppositions that Isaac would go through when he gave him that promise. God knew that there would be no opposition that can stop a promise of God, that can stop a word of God, that can stop what God says. He knew that no famine, no Philistine, no King Abimelech can stop God's promise from being fruitful in Isaac's life. Isaac is in a valley that's likened to meditating. Here's some scriptures to support meditation in, this, in the Bible. Psalm 19:14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. It goes on to say, be acceptable to you, O Lord. Psalm 119:15 says, I meditate on your precepts. I sit in your laws. I, I go over your word the truths of God for my life. Psalm 119, 148 says, meditate on your promises. The me word meditate there means to ponder, to speak, to sing God's words. 
In other words, God wants Isaac to meditate on who he is so that Isaac could be reminded of who Isaac is. Church, are you meditating on the word of God? When you find yourself in a rocky, hard place, when you find yourself hitting bedrock after bedrock, when opposition is facing you on every side, opposition in the home, opposition in the marriage, opposition on the job, opposition in your health, everywhere you look, you're finding opposition. What Isaac teaches us is that we have to meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the faithfulness of God and meditate on the, the promises of God. We have to chew it like the cow chews the cud. Chew on the faithfulness of God. Chew on the promises of God. What am I doing? I'm praying about it. I'm speaking it. I'm pondering it. I'm singing it. I'm saying it. All of these things I'm doing that then I'm swallowing it down. Let it sit in the recesses of my soul and I'm regurgitating. I forgot what the promise, what this aspect of the promise said. Let me remind myself of that. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Though he comes against me like a flood, the spirit of the living God will lift up a standard against me, against him. When the enemy comes in against me one way, he will flee seven ways. Oh, you can't do that job. I'm going to meditate on the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We got to meditate. Remind yourself of the word of God and the faithfulness of God. But here's the story behind the valley of Gerar. This is not the first time Isaac's family has been in this valley. Abraham, when he was going through a famine, came to the same valley. But not only that, it was in this valley where barren Sarah conceived Isaac. God is bringing Isaac back to a place to remind him that I'm faithful to keep my word. He, this is not a death burial ground for Isaac. This is a birthing place for Isaac. It's to remind Isaac that this, you're a chosen child. You're a royal priesthood. You're a promised seed. You're a vessel carrier. This is who you are, Isaac. Descendants are in your womb. This is who you are, Isaac. This was a place of remembrance for Isaac. Isaac had to decide, am I going to let these oppositions and dis discourage me? Am I going to turn over in my mind what I lost? The wells that they're clogging up against me. They told me to leave. I'm, I'm going through one rejection after another rejection. Am I going to let that turn over in rumination in my mind? Or am I going to dwell and meditate on the faithfulness and the promises of God? Bible said that Isaac stayed in Gerar and he dug and found another well. Water was springing up for Isaac. Water was coming to an overflow for Isaac. I want to I read verses 18 to 22. It says, then Isaac dug again the wells of water. This is while he's in the valley, which had been dug in the days of his father, Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, that's our water. So he named the well Esek because they contended with him. 
Then he dug another well, and the quarrel started over that too. So he named the well Sitna, it means strife. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. The fourth and last secret of breakthrough is you must overcome contention, overcome strife, overcome offense. We are told that Isaac dug another well and he had water, sustenance, springing up in provision for him. He found a new well and God was favorable unto him again. But Isaac had to make a decision. Do I stay over here and argue over the previous wells? Do I stay over there and just keep ruminating what they did? They stopped up my wells. I start just going over and over and stay in the offense. Or do I move into the valley and dig again? I think some of us need to be reminded that you got to dig again. You can't let them rob you of future wells. Whatever they said, whatever they did, whatever they did on the job, you've got to dig again. But I don't know if I'm going to have water. No, he says, I will be with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're in the valley. It doesn't matter if you're in the city. It doesn't matter if you're in the back courts or the front courts. I will be with you wherever. I hope this word is sitting with someone today because someone is in a valley right now. Someone is facing opposition right now. Someone is going through difficulty right now. Someone, somebody is coming up against you. But the God of the Bible says, dig again. Keep digging until water spring up for you. Church, we're going to end, but I, you, you got to hear this part. The enemy wants to sow discord in your heart because if you stay in the strife, if you stay in the contention, if you stay in the bitterness and the offense, it will rob you of your future wells. The spring can't flow through you. You get stuck in the bitterness. And so you got to release it and let it go. That's what Isaac teaches us. Release it and let it go. So Isaac goes and dig again. And the Bible tells us that he came upon another well, and this well, the water is springing up out of the ground towards Isaac. He names this place Rehoboth. Oh, here's what God says to Isaac. Well, what God, what Isaac partners with God when he dug this well. He said, the Lord has made room for me. And I will flourish and be fruitful in the land. Isaac is now partnering with the prophetic over his life. The covenant over his life. You know what Rehoboth means? Rehoboth means large places, open spaces, the place of more. God responds to Isaac and gave him all the lands. Plural in that area. God, the enemy wasn't after wells. He was after Rehoboth. My place of more. My broad places. My open spaces. This land will go on to be the land of Isaac's descendants for generations and generations to come. I wonder if what you're going through, the enemy's after 
your rare booth, your broad places, your open spaces, the place of more that God wants to deposit in your life more of his fruitfulness in your life, more of his spirit in your life, more of his anointing in your life, more of the assignments of God upon your life and in your life. I wonder if everything that you're going through is because the enemy is not contending for your well, he's contending for your Rehoboth, your place of more in God, not just for you, but for your descendants after you. And God, if Isaac was here today, he would tell you, dig again. Dig until you hit water. Dig and don't stop digging. You know what digging means? Digging means not to give up. Digging means not to stop, to, to not stop believing. Digging means remaining faithful, remaining faithful in well-doing, to keep going, to not get stuck in what happened to you, to not get chained by the strife, not be held up by contention, not be held back by the frustration. To dig again means to keep going. Why? Because Rehoboth is around the bend. Your place of more in God is around the bend. Listen, church, as I close, the enemy has been stopping up your wells with dirt. Wells over your family, dirt. Wells over your health, dirt. Wells over your finances, dirt. He's putting dirt into all the, your, your, your job, your increase, your promotions, your spiritual appetite. He's pouring dirt into those places. Today, you got to unclog the wells. You got to command the wells to be unclogged, to break free so that the waters, springs of waters, you got to command that the, the dams be loose, the dams be broken, the floodgates open up on your behalf. Can I have everyone stand as we pray over our Rehoboth? We want God of the Rehoboth to complete what he started in our lives, to send out the wells, to send out the water, to release the dams, to stir up the water that's on the inside of you. If anybody has a breakthrough that they need partner with, I need you to come to the front. I need you to come to these front, to these altars and believe God for your prayer both. You don't gotta ask, you don't gotta ask who's coming with me, who wants to believe with me, who wants to stand with me, amen. Just come to the front and hold your hand up and believe God. God, I'm believing you for my Rehoboth. I'm believing you for my wide spaces. I'm believing you for my open places. I'm believing you for new wells. I just don't want to dig old wells. I want new wells, new beginnings, fresh outpouring. Pour out your water on me in the name of Jesus. From the altars, from the balcony, come on down. We will wait for you. We will wait for you. Bring that issue in your heart. Bring that circumstance with you in your heart as you come to these altars. And we're going to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Families coming to these altars. Couples coming to these altars. We give God praise for our Rehoboth. We want to come into agreement with the wells of God and what he wants to pour down in our lives. So I'm going to pray, but I need you to agree.
So when I say something, you repeat it. I'll be praying fast, but just catch any words that you can and just repeat it over you. Speak God's word over you. The word cannot be broken. You just got to partner with it. You got to come into agreement with it. You got to lay hold of it and say, that's the word for me. I can't tell you all the years that I've been at CLC, the countless times that I've been at these altars on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, believe in God for more. And it's years I've seen God's fruitfulness of the prayers that I've made on the carpets at this altar. And so we're going to speak that over you in Jesus name. Lord, we come into agreement to release the wells over their lives. Come on church, lift your voice, release the wells over my life. Release the wells of living water to spring up in me. Spirit of the living God, spring up in them. Wells of living water, let it flow through them. Let dams be released on their behalf. Unclog the wells that has been stopped up by the enemy. Open the floodgates on their behalf. Wells of hunger, wells of thirst for righteousness. Wells of hunger for the word of God, for the things of God, for the outpouring of God. We pray, Lord Jesus, wells of new gifts, gifts of the spirit, gifts of the prophetic. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.